When the Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Roman believers, believers in Rome, he made this statement that should give us all great joy. He said in Romans 8.37 that we, speaking about believers, are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What a great blessing to know that we are more than conquerors. Friends, I want you to know this morning that God's purpose for you, that God's purpose for His church is complete victory. Not partial victory, not just a little victory, but absolute and complete victory no matter what you're going through. That's God's purpose for you. We're told in 1 John chapter 5 that whatever is born of God, whoever is born of God, overcomes the world. If you're born of God, you overcome the world and anything it can throw at you. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You see, it's not you that overcomes the world, it's the Jesus in you that overcomes the world. Paul went on to say in Romans 8, 38, that I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, friend, that this world has for you can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that being the case, let me pretend for a moment, and this is definitely pretending, that I offered everyone in this room $10,000. Every individual. How'd you like that? Three, four, five, six. Uh-huh, now we're talking. You got to let that sink in a little bit, amen? $10,000. It's yours. It's a gift. You like that idea? But now, let me talk to this side for a second. How would y'all think if this side said, Hey, Brother Bill, thanks a lot for the offer, but all we can accept from you is $10. What would y'all think about them? They're absolutely out of their minds, amen? They are nuts. But listen carefully. Many Christians are content to do just that in their spiritual lives. God offers them the moon, but they only take what they see. The Lord offers us spiritual wealth, Spiritual wealth that's beyond our comprehension, but we want to live like a beggar. The Lord offers us spiritual wealth beyond our comprehension, and many will take that salvation, but they leave untouched the victory over sin in our life. They leave untouched a deeper fellowship with God that He offers. We leave untouched a fruitful service opportunity right here in this church. We leave untouched an absolute assurance of heaven when we die. Why is that? Why is that? 
Today, I'm praying, I've been praying all this week that you would take advantage of the spiritual wealth that God's given you. Because I'm telling you, he's loaded you up. He's made you filthy rich. And he wants you to become a spiritual conqueror. So today, I want to share a message with you that will give you three secrets to becoming a spiritual conqueror. Number one, remember it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. As Christians, we have the responsibility of completing the conquest. Of completing it. The principle of following through, of finishing to the end is very important. Following through in business is very important. Would you agree? Following through in sports is very important. Would you agree? Friends, following through in spiritual service is very important to God. In any spiritual work, what follows is the most important thing. Listen carefully. You coming to church this morning was not the most important thing. You coming here and sitting to a, and hearing a loudmouth preacher this morning was not the most important thing of your day. The most important thing comes when you leave. The most important thing comes when what you do following through based on what you've heard. Follow through is very very important. I mean, think about this. It's one thing to begin a race well. Amen. You got to get out of those starting blocks, right? But what's most important is how you finish that race. Man, you can get out of the starting blocks real quick, but if you come in last place because you didn't finish well, then what use was it to run the race? It's one thing to begin to apply God's word to your life. Hey, man, that's important. But it's totally another thing to follow through. Say that with me. Follow through. Follow through unto victory. Because that's God's desire. God's desire wasn't that you heard God's word today. God's desire was is that you applied it to your life and you followed through when you walk out of this building. So as we're going through the, the book of Joshua... The battles required for God's people are condensed into two chapters, basically. In Joshua chapter 10 and Joshua chapter 11, you can read about those battles in about 20 minutes or so. But you need to know that it took a long time for God's people to get the victory. It took a long time. In fact, Joshua 18 or 11:18 says, Joshua made war a long time with all these kings. Friends, I want you to know this morning that this victory was not a quick victory. The victory that God's people enjoyed was not an easy victory. The victory that God's people enjoyed took a little bit of effort. It took some hard work. 
It took some blood, sweat, and tears. God's people had to give up a little bit to receive the victory. And you know, when I think about that, that's how God works in our life a lot of times. God doesn't reveal his power in some bright flash. He reveals his power over the long haul. Amen? He reveals his power over the course of time. So to become a spiritual conqueror, to achieve the victory that God's got set for you, God calls his people to be faithful for a long period of time. And I want you to remember today that no matter what you're going through, God is at work. Recovering, God is at work. Are you preparing for a new season? God is at work. Having struggles today, God is at work. Even in your every ordinary day, God is at work. When you wake up in the morning, God is at work. When you wash your face, God is at work. When you brush your teeth, God is at work. When you take out the garbage, God is at work. And when you go to work, God is at work. Amen? He is at work in your life no matter what you're doing. In fact, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that in chapter 10, verse 36, that we have need of endurance. We have need of endurance, get this, so that after we've done the will of God, we will receive the promise. Ready? After you've done the will of God, you receive the promise of God. It's important that we have need of endurance. So although Joshua has achieved stunning victories in the promised land, crossed the Jordan, and man, he knocked flat Jordan. He knocked flat Jordan. He knocked flat Ai. He knocked flat the, the armies of, of uh, Gibeon. It still took a long time. Remember, friend, it's too soon to quit. For Joshua and the people of God, it would require seven years for them to fully occupy and claim the promises that God has given them. Seven years. So you've been waiting a couple of weeks for God to answer. Guess what? How's it going to feel when you have to wait seven years? Amen? God requires that we wait, but it's always too soon to quit. Here's your second secret to spiritual conquering. Remember, it may be a new problem, but it's the same God. Amen? Now, I want this side to say new problem. I want this side to say same God. Ready? Again? Louder? New problem, same God. See, up to this point, there have been only three battles 
the battle in Jericho, the battle at Ai, the battle in the hills of Gibeon. But now in Joshua chapter 11, it came to pass in verse 1, when Jabin, the king of Hazor, heard these things, that he sent to Jobab, the king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Ashaph, and to the kings who were from the north, in the mountains, in the plain south of Chinneroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west. That's a lot of kings, amen. He continues on. Verse 3, And to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. Verse 4, And so they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. So Joshua is now faced with more kings, more armies, more soldiers, more armament, and more weapons than ever before. Jewish historians estimate that the combined forces of these Canaanites numbered about 300,000 foot soldiers. In addition to 100,000 cavalry. In addition to 20,000 chariots. This was a huge huge army but if Joshua was fearful about the size of this army and all their equipment just think of how much he had to be comforted by the reaffirmed promise of God that we read in verse 6 read that with me but the Lord said the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Now what we don't know, if you haven't been reading through the entire Bible, is that God's people had already promised His people in Deuteronomy chapter 20, saying when you go out to battle against your enemies and you see the horses and you see the chariots and you see people more numerous than you are, God said, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you, he who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now friends, what you need to know here is this battle had to be one of the bloodiest, most violent battles that Joshua went through. And, but in verse 8, we find that God said, God delivered them into the hand of Israel, and they attacked them until none was left remaining. What does that mean? That means that at least... 300,000 foot soldiers and 100,000 cavalry soldiers lay dead on the battlefield. 
And when the victory was complete, God had commanded his people to render the horses lame and also to burn the chariots of war. Now, I was thinking about that, and I said, man, God's people really could have used those horses. God's people really could have used those chariots. I mean, because they knew more war was coming. So why in the world would God tell them to, to render the horses lame and burn the chariots? I mean, they're already outgunned as it is. And then it hit me like a hammer. The same reason that he speaks to us this way is because God knew that there was a greater danger that his people would put their confidence in the horses and chariots than they did in him. Friend, today, do you put more confidence in your bank account than you do in him? Do you put more confidence in your job than you do in the Lord God Almighty? Do you put more confidence in your abilities than you do in the Lord God Almighty? Friend, do you put more confidence in the president than you do in the Lord God Almighty? There's a whole lot of Americans that do. The psalmist declared in Psalms 20 and verse 7, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we, we trust in the Lord our God. So the question is this morning, in what or in whom do you place your trust? Going through a battle, are you? Going through a challenging time, are you? In whom or in what are you putting your trust? If you want victory, the trust must be in the Lord your God. When we look at the story of Joshua, we find that by obeying God's command, by demonstrating that he was willing to obey, Joshua moved when God said move. When God told Joshua and the people of God in Israel to move, they moved. They did what they were told to do. Are you moving when God says move? Joshua wouldn't refuse to do anything God asked him to do. He'd refuse no new challenge. Whatever unexpected opposition that came his way, he would face it with, with fearless faith and a calm courage. What would happen if we would do the same thing? No matter what opposition came your way, no matter what challenge came your way, how would it be if we followed Joshua's example and moved when God said move? When we face new challenges, when we fresh, face fresh opposition to God's work, let us never draw back from moving forward. God calls us to move forward. Friends, there are more people outside of this building that don't know Jesus than there are inside. Amen? There are more people that are living a heathen life outside this building than they're doing it inside. Amen? We don't like talking about that, do we? But I want you to know, God wants us to move forward. Go after them. I mean, friend, listen, God goes before us. God prepares the way for us. God overcomes the opposition 
before we get there. The Lord God Almighty enables us to move forward for his glory. Victory waits for us. Are we moving forward? I mean, think of it. For the people of Israel, man, there had to be this constant temptation. Man, they just, they just whooped up on Jericho. They just whooped up on Ai. They just whooped up on all those armies in Gibeon. Man, it, should have, it was, must have been tempting just to say, man, this is pretty nice where we're at. Why don't we just stay where we're at? Why don't we just camp out here? Man, there's nice apple orchard over there. Nice vineyard over there. Man, the grass is good. A couple of nice fresh springs. Man, this is good. Why don't we just stay here? Why do we have to keep moving forward? Why do we have to keep obeying God doing more? Why don't we just stake out here and make this our promised land? Enjoy these pastures. Why? Are you ready for the answer? Because God had more for them. It's real easy for a church to say, man, we've done some great things. Man, this church has been here 110 years. We've done some great things. Why don't we just chill out? Let's just cool out, rest on our laurels a little bit. Man, we can always point backwards and say, man, we fed a bunch of people. We led a bunch of people to Jesus. Why don't we just lay back and enjoy? Why? Because God has more for us. God has more for his people. There are more children out there that need to hear about Jesus. There are more people out there that don't have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. There are more people out there who are doomed to an everlasting hell because somebody has not shared the good news with them. God wants us to move forward. The resting and the enjoying and the settling, man, that'll come later. That'll come later. You can rest all you want to when you get to heaven. Amen? We got work to do here. We got work to do here. So remember, it's too soon to quit. Always too soon to quit. And you may have new problems. Matter of fact, I guarantee you, you'll have some new problems. But in the face of your new problems, you've got the same God. The God of the then is the same God of the now. It's the same God. Let me share with you a third secret and we'll close this morning. Because I believe that God wants us to become spiritual conquerors. And that third secret is this. Remember, all of our fears, they are pointless. Pointless. Look in chapter 11 of Joshua in verse 21. At that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim. I'll tell you what Anakim means in a second. Cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from the mountains of Israel. Listen to this. Joshua utterly destroyed them. What does that mean? It means he wiped them out. They're gone. They're all gone, completely gone, utterly destroyed with their cities. Verse 22, none, say none. How many? None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only down in Gaza and Gath and Ashdod. 
And so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance, a promise to Israel according to the divisions of their tribes. And then the land rested from war. In Israel's dictionary, that word Anakim spelt terror, utter fear, trembling like some of the BYG were on their on their uh, Halloween night, amen? Utter fear, utter fear. See, the Anakim were a race of giant people. Giant people. And those giant people sent terror into the hearts of those first spies that came into the promised land. When the spies saw these Anakim, saw these giant people, they reported that we were like grasshoppers in their sight. These are huge people. But here, in verse 22, God shows us how pointless their fear of these Anakim people was. Look there in verse 22. None, how many? None of the Anakim were left. Joshua utterly destroyed the Anakim people. Now, in a book called Pilgrim's Progress, the author, Paul Bunyan, is writing about the lead character, and the lead character's name, uh, strangely enough, is Christian. And Christian is walking along a narrow pathway that's leading to a place called the Palace Beautiful. And Christian is going to spend the night at the Palace Beautiful, but as he's going down this very narrow corridor, he looks down there toward the end, and he sees two lions standing in his way. And then right after the author says that, the author interjects, the lions were on chains, but Christian did not see the chains. You see, some of our challenges are huge. Some of our life experiences are just giants that stand in the way of spiritual victory. But I want you to never fear just because you can't see the chains. Those giants are on chains. I read another story about a church member who was out in the community passing out Easter invitations. And he came to one house and uh, just on the other side of the fence was this huge, very unfriendly Rottweiler. And that Rottweiler was letting him have it. And he got real scared. But then he noticed the Rottweiler was on a chain. And so he started dancing around the perimeter of that Rottweiler. But then he got fearful again. And he says, I don't know how long that chain is. He could still get me. What's my point? The giants that you face in this life, those Rottweilers that try to chew you up, Christian, they're on chains. They can't get to you. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, we find that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's got control of everything. Everything is under his feet. Listen. 
He, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly places far above principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the ages to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That means that anything, any spiritual giant, any nasty Rottweiler that wants to harm you or destroy you is chained. God has control of the Rottweilers we have in our life. Amen? He has them chained. But sometimes we don't see the chains. Sometimes we ignore the chains. Sometimes we're happier in our fear. But I want you to know there is no reason to fear. God's got that Rottweiler on a leash. And he can't touch you unless Jesus says it's okay. Forty years earlier, these terrorizing giants caused the Israelites to feel like grasshoppers. But now in Joshua chapter 11, we find Joshua and his armies are marching over the Anakim just like grass in the field. So much for the giants of life. Amen? Amazing. Amazing. Against all odds, Joshua triumphed over life's giants. How did he do it? It was clear. There was only one way. There was only one way that he was going to tread over these giants. And that was he had to trust God. He had to trust God. Someone said, when the situation seems near hopeless, that's time for faith. There's no such thing as a hopeless situation when you trust in God. But isn't it sad, friend, that we have to often come to the place where we come to that hopeless situation before we'll trust in God? I mean, what is the deal with us? Why do we do that? We pin our hopes on everything under the sun. Our own abilities, our own bank account, our job. Man, somehow, way, it's going to bring us out. And then when none of that helps, we go try to pin our hopes on God. And what I'm challenging you to say today or to feel today is that you need to trust God up front. No matter what comes your way. Don't use up all of your options. Don't get to the point where you have no shred of hope. And then as a last resort, trust God. Trust him up front. Believe in him up front. Know that he's got the, his hand on the chain up front. Don't wait for all your own alternatives to be exhausted. Don't wait for uh, a place where there's nowhere else to go. You've waited on all the luck. You've waited on all the coincidence. And now it's time to trust God. Now I'll give God his chance. What I'm telling you today is, how much better is it to trust God no matter what? you got to get to that point.
if you want to become a spiritual conqueror. So remember, it's always too soon to quit. You may have a new problem, but you got the same God. Same God. And in him, every fear you got is pointless. Now we need to know, what does this mean to us? What do these three secrets mean to us as a church? Well, number one, I want to encourage you and myself to be ready to accept any new challenge God throws our way. There's something God wants us to do, and it's clear he wants us to do it. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to move when God says move. Listen, let's stay on the move with God. Let's don't become spiritually stagnant. Let's move forward. Let's plunge into new territory and move when God says move. Number two, let's leave nothing undone that the Lord has commanded us to do. One of our memory verses at CIA is 2 Timothy 2.15. And it tells us to be diligent. To be diligent to approve, present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's be diligent. Let's be earnest. Let's work hard. Let's be thorough with anything God throws our way. Let's don't be shirking our responsibilities to him or to each other. Let's leave nothing undone he's told us to do. And finally today, no matter how huge your giants may seem, God has conquered them. So as people, as his people, let's move forward. Move forward with no fear. God's got this. When he says move, we're going to move, and we're not going to be fearful about it. Think about this. Jesus overcame his greatest fears. He suffered. He died. He was buried and gloriously raised from the dead three days later. All for you. Conquered his greatest fear. Now we need to be conquering our fears. Today, God has given us, his church, everything we need to be victorious. So I ask you, sir, are you saved? Today you can be. Are you living a victorious life? Today you can start. Ma'am, have you had your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? Today you can. Are you ready to humble yourself? Stop doing things your own way and trust God's way? Today you can start. God offers us forgiveness of every sin, past, present, and future. And he offers us eternal life in heaven if we will only believe in his son Jesus and trust in what Jesus did for every one of us on that cross. It's an amazing gift.
So maybe you say, Bill, you're preaching to the choir here. I done been saved. For that, I'm grateful. And I thank Jesus that you are. But have you stopped there? Did you somehow come under this, uh, this misinterpretation that you get saved and then you park it in the pew? Did you stop there? I'm telling you, that is a severe misunderstanding of the scriptures. We don't get saved and just stop there. We need to be moving forward in our faith. We need to be growing in our faith. We need to be an overcomer. God calls us to be a conqueror. No, he calls us to be a more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. So let's not accept this gift of being saved, this gift of salvation, but then leave untouched victory over sin. I mean, we ought to be living at least a, a, a lifestyle where there's little sin. Well, I'm not saying that we're sinless, but I'm saying we can sin less. Agreed? Everybody in this room, can we sin less? You better believe it. We can have victory over sin. Let's not leave untouched the privilege of a deeper fellowship with God. Man, if you really believe what Jesus has done for you, then you're going to want to know the Father and everything that he's told you. That's why we drive home life groups. That's why we drive home CIA. That's why we drive home BYG. That's why we drive home evening worship services and disciple opportunities. Because we want to be in a deeper fellowship with God. I'm just not satisfied with this superficial relationship. And I pray that we'll all learn to grow deeper with God. And I pray that we won't leave untouched the privilege that God has given every one of us as believers to serve in this part of his church. God has gifted every believer to do something. And you are saved to serve, not saved to sit. Amen? That's not my own. That's somebody else's. But I should do like it. <laughs> Amen? We're saved to serve. And we're saved to serve the people that are outside these walls. So what you do in this decision time that's coming, is part of the follow-through we started talking about at the beginning of this message. If it's time for you to be saved, today's your day. If you're ready to move forward and follow through with your salvation, today's your day. I pray you'll just be obedient to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, every one of us in this room has areas of our life that need to be closer to the godly example of Jesus Christ. But Father, if we're honest, we can't do it in our own power. And so Lord, I pray that there might be one 